Hello there, and welcome to So What You're Saying Is. I'm Peter Whittle. Now, that rare thing, or should I say a unique thing, is a journalist selling out the London Palladium. But that's what my guests this week did. Rod Little is associate editor of The Spectator, for whom he also writes a column. But he's also a columnist for The Sunday Times and for The Sun. And without wishing to embarrass him with too much flattery, he is one of that very select group of journalists for whom people actually buy the paper specifically to read. He's with me. Thanks very much for coming in, Rod. Thank you very much. You've You've been filming today, haven't you? Yes. Yes. And, uh, but you can't, you're not in London anymore, isn't that right? You no, know. I don't live in London because I can't stand the place. Uh, but uh, I usually have to come in on a Thursday. I do a film every week for the Sunday Times. And politicians are usually in London, and it's often interviewing politicians. But if we can get out of London a bit more, it's always better. Yeah. Uh, and the people are nicer. But you say you can't stand because we actually uh, grew up in roughly the same yeah, roughly area. The same. I mean, yeah. I was Shooters Hill, you and Abbey Wood. Yeah. Uh, but, I mean, you're not... Would you call yourself a Londoner by, by birth then? Not I mean, really. I mean, my mum was from London, um, but um, uh, from Bermondsey, uh, oh, uh, which right, is okay. how come I support Millwall, really. Yeah, yeah. And it's the first game I ever saw in my life. But most of my family, the vast majority of my family, is from the northeast of England, Middlesbrough, Stockton, Bishop Auckland. Uh, my dad's from there, and all my relatives are there. Um, and that's where it feels like home, yeah, to be honest. Yeah. But you said you can't stand the place. Yeah. I mean, why? Oh, because of its mewing smugness, the idea that it feels itself above the rest of us, yeah. its sense of self-regard. Um, also, you know, the fact that uh, sometimes in various parts of London I feel a foreigner myself, yeah. you know, walking through it, in mm. much the same sort of racist way that Nigel Farage once said. Uh, uh, because of its claustrophobia and because there's too many people and... I'm of a certain age and presumably tired of life. It's not just a demographic thing, it's also an economic thing. It's an economic thing. I mean, if I lived in London, I would be in court for punching a hipster. Yeah. You know, I, it just would happen. I'd be a member of <laughs> class war, probably. Uh, I've got friends who are in class war. Yeah. Uh, and they, they are perpetually infuriated by the... By the by, because it seems to me that London which has an incredibly high regard for itself and always thinks of itself as being this wonderfully integrated place. Yeah. It's such diversity. This is what we've got in London. It's so yeah. diverse. What you've actually got is virtually Dubai, a slave yeah, state, yeah, yeah. Where, where there's an affluent white uh, elite preying on you know, the appalling wages of, uh, of incoming service people yeah. from abroad. Yeah. Uh, I think it's a disgusting way to live. But also it's a place now as well, if you are a Brexiteer, it's a kind of a lonely place in some ways. Well, it shouldn't be. Uh, I mean, you say that, it's interesting. I mean, uh, more than one in three Londoners voted for Brexit. Mm. And once you get beyond the people with their goatees and yeah, their yeah. top knots mm. uh, out, out towards the, uh, the green belt a little bit, then, it, then it, it's very, very pro-Brexit. Yeah. People, people get the Brexit vote wrong, I yeah, think. Yeah. Um, they're too simplistic about it. You know, one in three Londoners, who'd have thought it? Oh, yeah, it was much bigger. I think that originally people thought 
be about something like 29%, something like that. Yeah. It was actually over 40% voted for Brexit in London. Absolutely. It's just that the feel of London and the people who set the tone yeah. could not be less Brexit. <coughs> no, that's right. It's a liberal elite, which is one reason to be out of London. Yeah, uh, I mean, yeah. you're absolutely right. Yeah. And I think London, that liberal elite of London, uh, was one of the reasons that Brexit was slowly strangled yeah. right from the start. You see, when, when did this... I put it down the past 20 years or so, but it seems to me that, you know, London changing, you know, you, are, you said earlier that 1972 might be quite good to be in London. It, interesting things, although economically things were, there were lots of battles going on. Pretty wrecked. Co- yes, but at the same time, culturally things were more intact, were they not? Mm. Well, it was, it was a far more homogenous city. Yeah. I think at the time whether that's good or bad is another issue yeah, yeah. But I think if you live in London most people like to live amongst people who are pretty much the same as them yeah. who have sort of the same shared values and so on yeah. and I think for an awful lot of Londoners that's changed you yeah, know yeah. I mean they've which is why we had you know around about 1972 and before then uh, I mean my parents were part of it which was the white flight to the suburbs mm, mm, mm. so my lock got out to Bexley Heath yeah, yeah. Uh, and uh, had we been Londoners I think we'd have got out from Bexley Heath to I don't know Chislehurst and then out to yeah. Bromley and then out to Deal yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah. until we could go no further yeah. uh, luckily we're from the north so we just got the hell out up the A1. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> very nice. You know, um, this, we're, we're filming this right in the middle of what seems to be a very surreal time. Yeah. You've always been a staunch Brexiteer. Uh, broadly speaking, what's your reading of the current situation? I mean, I think in the long term, I suppose what I'm asking is, when you see all the things that are happening at the moment, what do you feel are going to be the long-term effects of this whole Brexit period well, in, in England? Yeah. I mean, I think Brexit... <laughs> it's a bit of a hostage to fortune, but I think Brexit uh, will not be allowed to happen in the form that anyone wished it to happen for a succession of reasons, most of which can be boiled down to the fact that there's a two-to-one majority against it in the House of Commons mm-hmm. pushing on three-to-one. Uh, the majority, uh, that there are nine, ten parties in the House of Commons, of which nine <laughs> are pro-Remain yeah. uh, uh, in, in the majority. The House of Lords <coughs> is pro-Remain. Uh, our broadcast media is pro-Remain. Mm-hmm. Uh, London is pro-Remain. Um, it is an inevitability under those circumstances. What will come of it, I would like to think... Um, is a realignment of politics in Westminster. Because I think what we've learned from Brexit is that the divide which exists within society isn't remotely uh, reflected by the divide which is in Parliament. Uh, One of the most hilarious things about the whole Brexit and Corbyn episode was a sudden formation of a new party called the Independents, Mm -hmm. this group of originally seven, then eight Labour defectors, and then uh, I think it was four Conservatives, uh, who formed this new party, (laughs) characterised by being (laughs) pro-Remain, which all the other parties are, and characterised by being socially liberal, which all the other parties are, save for the Democratic Unionist Party, perhaps, which has only ten members. Um, So you have this this vast edifice, the people we vote for... um, who are all socially liberal 
the lot of them, the Conservative Party. Now, when you look at the uh, one of the one of the stories which has been inflaming people recently is is uh, the government's plans for sex education in schools, yeah, yeah, yeah. which is telling kids about <laughs> sex, about same-sex relationships and transgenderism. Mm. Uh, that's a conservative government. Yeah, it's yeah, a conservative yeah. government, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it's not. But um, the, don't you think the Conservative Party just simply threw in the towel long ago on anything what you might call socially conservative? Yeah, or co- yeah. completely, completely didn't understand even the culture war. If yes, there is that's right. Thing. That's right. They don't understand the culture war, and I think that if you do, if you do, you do need a party in Parliament, which, which, to my mind is. Economically, this is why I was, was never a huge fan of UKIP in many ways. Yeah. Uh, though I liked the anti-political correctness, I liked the stance on Europe, even though Brexit was actually a close call for me in, originally. But it, really? Yeah, 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 quite close call. Um, what were you juggling then? Oh, juggling um, the notion of democracy and my liking for a nation-state mm. um, versus a genuine worry that... Um, that's some of the good stuff which the EU did, which circumvented our Parliament and thus the five-year cycle of Parliament, such as funding for science and research, and equally funding for uh, deprived areas. You know, if I thought for a single minute that 350 million quid a week was going to be spent on the National Health Service as a consequence of Brexit, I'd probably have voted Remain. You know, I, I mean... <laughs> Just why would you do that? Uh, even though I think it needs more money at the moment, but not that much more money. Um, so, so I had to juggle that stuff. Uh, but it was nice waking up on June the 24th and seeing, seeing the result, feeling a, a slight tremor of shock, then delight, looking at Dimbleby, looking as if someone had shat in his mm, handbag, mm, uh, and feeling a bit nervous for a while, and then... And then hearing the result from Middlesbrough, sixty-seven <laughs> percent. Yeah, yeah. uh, I've done right by uh, my own people. Yeah. But I think if there is a yeah. divide in the country, then I think someone like David Goodhart's probably got it right. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and this devolves from Brexit, of course. Um, I came up with it at the same time as David, but didn't do as much work on it. Uh, I'd been at a at a. Uh, at a reunion of my old comprehensive school in Middlesbrough, but just south of Middlesbrough, Gisborough, uh, 40 years since we left. And there were a 100 of us there, which is a great turnout. Uh, it was a very big school. Um, and I did a bit of amateur sociology. It was two weeks after the, res- after the referendum. Yeah. And almost to a man and woman, everybody who had left Teesside and not come back was for Remain. Mm. Everyone who had stayed in Teesside was for Leave. And this was true even if the people who'd left Teesside to make their fortunes had done very badly for themselves and were broke and had bad lives. And it was true also back in Teesside that if they were very, very rich and were, uh, had, had made their fortune, they were still for Leave. And uh, David, David's book, which goes into it in, Brilliant. The anywheres and somewheres. Anyway, it's anywheres and somewheres. And I think that's. And I think if you are like me, mm. very, very much a somewhere, I feel a sense of belonging. So am I. Yeah. 
And I feel a sense of belonging to the nation state, and I feel a sense of belonging to my area, um, to a degree to, to my class, though that, I suppose, is arguable now, but also to my family, that these things root us. And there is no political party in Westminster, in the House of Commons, which represents that point of view, uh, which I think is desperately sad. But, but don't you think as well, as the, 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 I'm speaking broadly here, but if you like the, the Remain establishment, for want of a better expression, they just, it's not a question of not agreeing with, they just don't get these points. No, no, well, the, no they don't get that point, but, but there's also an interesting demographic about it, which is, as a lever, um, I would say roughly 50% of my friends are Remainers. Right. There's okay. no problem with them. Yeah. Um, uh, we get on fine and we talk about it and it's interesting um, but an awful lot of that Remain vote was cast in a bubble mm. in a way that the Leave vote kind of wasn't the Leave vote was dispersed mm. the Remain mm. vote was a corral of middle class I'm sure very nice people in London, in Cambridge in Oxford, in Bristol and who lived in that bubble. It's like the BBC. The BBC does not think it's misrepresenting mm -mm. Brexit. They all think the same. There is not a single one of them, mm. you know, who voted, who voted, uh, well, I say not a single one of them. I've asked around, I haven't found anyone who currently oh. works for it who voted Leave. Yeah. Needle in a haystack, I think. I mean, and, uh, But it, it's that bubble, yeah, you yeah, know? Yeah. That is why they don't get it, why they don't understand it. Because they don't... It's rather like that comment from Margaret Thatcher. I, you know, I, I do know poor people. I saw one once or whatever it was. Yeah, yeah. You know? <laughs> I suppose that the reason I, I draw that conclusion is if you look at the past two years or the past two and, a half year, two and a half years, whatever it is, all of the debate we see on the media is, is, seems to be in, almost entirely in economic terms. What I'm saying. Yeah. I mean, sovereignty. You mentioned the nation-state. Huge issue, isn't it? The return of the nation-state. Yeah. Huge thing. Yeah. And particularly, I would say, immigration. Yeah. That's almost been avoided, hasn't it, wouldn't you say, <laughs> over the past two well, years? Well, yes. I mean, immigration, <laughs> immigration is, is another of those. I mean, there are a whole bunch of subjects which the parties in Parliament will not touch. Yeah. Immigration is one of them. There's this vague idea that we might reduce it at some point. You know, 80% of our country yeah. wants immigration stopped. Mm. You know? Mm. Stopped. Uh, and thinks that untrammeled immigration has been bad for the country. Mm. And it, poll after poll tells us this. That's one of them. Another one is, as I was talking about, the family. You know, they want support for traditional families. And for people who do the right thing. Yeah who, you know, save up before they have a kid, don't go on welfare with nine children, all that kind yeah. of stuff. This kind of stuff which, which, which the Guardian and the BBC would consider recidivist and reactionary, yeah. Yeah. but isn't actually. It's communitarian. It's doing what's good for the country. Exactly. And yeah. no, there, there is nothing in Parliament, um, not even the Conservative Party, you know, which, ref which reflects that at all. And you're right, I mean, on the economics issue, the economics of Brexit are important, without question. But you're right, all the other stuff gets left behind. Yeah. On immigration, the BBC... I mean, the BBC thinks immigration is a good thing, and that's it. Yeah, yeah. There is no argument in the BBC about immigration. I mean, as John Sargent, the former chief political editor of the BBC, said, 
for decades, the BBC ignored the issue, moved away from the mm. issue, didn't deal with the issue. Mm. Uh, I would go further and say that, w- that it was actually very, very pro-immigration all the way through. I think it's uh, completely... I mean, it's not just in the news, but in, in their extra news yeah. material, in their dramas yeah, or in it's their it's comedies. It's, it's, yeah. it's even worse in the extra... It's even worse in the drama, in the comedy, in the panel shows. But, you I mean, you, you've written a huge amount about this particular topic, Rod. And, I mean, it, what it strikes me is that you know, it's not just a case of people being pro-migration in the BBC or whatever, we are talking about, surely, historically unprecedented population movement. Huge yeah. numbers. It's never been like this in no, my indeed. lifetime or no. yours, I'm sure. No. And it just seems that that is not... that. No one has come to grips with that, or at least I say majority of people no, Because have. they can't. Because they can't. Because, they've, because they have us this... You know, I don't think the BBC is actually very left-wing biased. I know some people do. I think it's liberal biased. Mm. You know, I think, and it doesn't think it's a bias at all. It thinks it's a civility. It thinks it's a politeness and a decent way to behave. Um, So, having come to the conclusion that immigration is a good thing, and and so you will always have a shot of a, you know, of a of a worthy immigrant coming into the country. Having reached that conclusion, they then can't say, well, no, but we ought to stop it at 20,000 yeah, a year. Yeah. It, it should be whoever. I, I, they, they can't make that leap. Well, it's like London. You sort of think, well, you know, London is now what they call super diverse, I think they call it. You sort of think, well, when, what is the end result? What, when will you be happy? You know, when, I think it's like London's now 45% white British or something. Mm. When, when actually will you be happy? I think, I think... Uh, the white British are a minority in the majority of London boroughs. Mm. <laughs> it's a good one. It's a good one, this. Um, I've seen loads of studies done. I, it's incredible how they get away with this, and they're always reported by the BBC and by the Liberal Press, which shows that districts which are high in immigration uh, tend to be in favour of immigration. And districts which are low in immigration tend to be anti-immigration. And the conclusion they draw from that is that <laughs> actually when the immigrants are coming, everything gets on bloody marvellously. Yeah, yeah. What they yeah. fail to say, yeah. when they're doing these studies in Newham Tower Hamlets and, uh, and Camden, yeah. is that 50% of the people they're asking if they're in favour of immigration yeah. are immigrants. Yeah. I mean, you, <laughs> how can they not, as a social scientist, yeah, you know, which yeah, was my yeah. background, don't they see? Yes, yes. Well, they don't want to see. It's bizarre. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so immigration's a problem, you know. Uh, and immigration's a problem in, in two or three ways. I can see why a Conservative Party would be in favour of, uh, of a constant stream of low-paid workers coming in the country to boost the economy, which it does. Mm. It boosts the economy briefly. Mm. Uh, why a left-wing party would agree to it, I cannot remotely understand. Yeah. It's exploitation. Uh, but anyway, sorry, go on. No, before we, before we just uh, leave the, the EU point, there are two things there. The immigration comes into it, actually. Is that when you're talking about the long-term consequences of what's uh, you know, Brexit, I think, and I don't what you think about this, it seems to me that the big difference now is that 
millions of people now know what the establishment think of them in a way that they maybe yes, they might yes. have suspected before, but they didn't really. Now they know because they're worried about migration, they're racist, they're bigoted, particularly the stupid, uneducated, all yeah. of these things. They now know they're armed with that knowledge. Now that surely is going to have a political effect somewhere along the line, is it or not? Wish it did. I have my doubts. Uh, I have my doubts. Yeah. I think what it means, I think what it will lead to is a, is a further corrosive winnowing away of respect and involvement in demo democracy. Yeah. Um, I think it will be a sullen retreat um, and the animus against the politicians will increase. But I, I don't see anything more profound than that, unless a new party comes along which challenges that. You know. Well, a lot of people would say they're particularly homeless right yeah. now. Uh, you were Labour for, what, 40 years? Yeah, nearly 40, 39. Yeah. But you've just, in your column this week in the you've been talking about joining a new party. What, what's, why that one? Why this social, the SDP? The SDP, yeah. Well, it's, it's, it's a terrible thing to think that if, if, if this had been me in 1985... <laughs> oh, we can all say that. <laughs> yeah, no, but good Lord. Uh, I can remember when the SDP began in 81 yeah. uh, and loathing David Owen so much that as a junior journalist I interviewed him with a giant trout with a pen sticking out the end just so that he looked stupid. Um, I, I couldn't bear them. Obviously, I thought it was treacherous uh, to the Labour Party at the time. Uh, and I'd not given them much thought until a year or so ago, uh, and particularly six months ago, when um, I read what their policies were. Um, and they are bang on. Um, I, shall give you, I shall give you some oh, policies. Thank you. You know, a new declaration. You'd like it. Right. Um, basically, it's what I was looking for, and I feel more at home in this party than I... I certainly, I didn't feel at home in the Labour Party for the last uh, 15 years. I mean, I didn't feel very much at home under Tony Blair. Mm. As, as Blue Labour, which is always what I was a part of, mm. uh, as one Blue Labour guy said to me about Jeremy Corbyn and Tony Blair, you know, two cheeks of the same liberal arsehole, yeah. which, which is a rather good <laughs> quote. Um, the SDP isn't liberal, but it is economically... Centre-left-ish, yeah. uh, redistributive a little, social yeah. market, um, in favour of a bit of capital expenditure. Um, but it's very, very pro-family, pro-state, pro-community, um, in a way that the other parties simply are not. Mm -hmm. It resists this sort of blanket liberalism which has been uh, sprayed upon us. Will you, you spray a blanket? <laughs> <laughs> Will you actually become... I mean, you say active. Would you, would, you, yes. would you ever stand for anything? No, I don't think I'd stand uh, because I think I'd bring discredit upon them. No. <laughs> I, think that, I think it would be uh, iniquitous for me to stand. But I'll go out leafleting and speak. Uh, i happily do that. And it's lovely to be involved again. And it's a good party. I mean, the, the, you can understand how it's got into a position where it doesn't like liberalism. If you look back to 1986, mm -hmm. seven, mm -hmm. and the people who wanted to ally themselves with the liberal with the Liberal Party became the Liberal Democrats. The rest remained. They wanted nothing to do with them, and it's uh, and it's staunchly pro Brexit. Um, 
as I say, the nation state. It's mm-hmm. which and you wouldn't find that kind of statement in the manifesto of other political parties, apart from UKIP, probably on the nation state. Um, and particularly, it's 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 loathing of the intersectional victimhoods, which increasingly the Conservatives, Lib Dems and Labour all buy into. They buy into this crap. Okay, so I, I wanted to talk about that just a little bit later, yeah. if we can. While we're on, this, on, the, on the political issue, particularly here, you, you wrote recently that the Liberal class would do everything they could to thwart Brexit. I yeah. think that's obviously quite, yeah. quite clear. But you also added the phrase, um, it's their final victory yes. before they're expunged. <laughs> yes. now, it's now, probably wishful thinking. No, yeah, but how, but, but it was, I was interested in that because there is this kind of idea of the stinging, the bee, the sting of the bee that then dies. Or whatever. Well, yes, I, I, if only it were that simple. I, I, I don't think it is. But what I mean is, and I've been saying this for a couple of years, I think you know, cultural paradigms take a long time to turn around uh, and cultural elites take a long time to change. But I think we've seen in the USA and in Europe uh, and increasingly with the rise of UKIP, mm. uh, maybe with the rise of the SDP, uh, though it hasn't risen much yet, um, a real, real acid reflux yeah, against yeah. this liberalism, yeah. which in Britain was expressed brilliantly by Brexit. Yeah, yeah. And Brexit is one of those symptoms yes. of, of a disquiet of the liberal elite. Yeah. And I think it's on the run throughout Europe. And the, the election results throughout Europe, would you see the liberal parties are down like that. Oh, yeah. And the populists, whether they be of the left or the right, and I have quite a bit of time for Syriza, you know, mm-hmm. and, for the, uh, uh, and for Five Star, uh, and those populists are on the rise everywhere. Yeah. So I think, I think the paradigm is changing. It just takes so long to change. It's, it's, it's hard to think, but, you know, 40 years ago, 45 years ago, our elite was conservative. And I hated that just as much. Uh, it was authoritarianly conservative. The judiciary, mm. um, the police, the media, the BBC was a conservative media. The BBC, don't you think, in this past couple of years, having played ball roughly maybe during the referendum campaign, they really have been undisguised, haven't they, in the past two? Their, their, yes. their attitudes have been absolutely undisguised. Absolutely undisguised. Uh, and you can, uh, I mean, you can count it up. The Institute for Economic Affairs did a, did a study yeah. of question time. Yeah. And it showed that, uh, so this is... The main issue before the public is, is Brexit and has been for two years, two and a half years. Uh, Christian Time is the BBC's main political current affairs programme. Yeah. And the guests on it have been 67% remain. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Why? Yes. I mean, there is some get out for the BBC, for, for Question Time, which is that the poor bastards have to balance so many other things. They have to have representation, equal representation, roughly across the series from within the House of Commons. Mm-hmm. Given that the House of Commons is 60-30, yeah, um, um, so difficult. They also have to have uh, uh, equal representation of women, ethnic minorities, uh, 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 gay, etc. Mm-hmm. So they have all these other things to try and balance out uh, before they get round to the big issue of Brexit. Mm-hmm. But still, you know, yeah. no, it's, it's been undisguised. And uh, the, the most hilarious thing of, it, of all of it is the BBC's fact-checker, 
or reality checker Chris Morris, you know. Mm. So you will have a debate yeah. about Brexit between a Brexiteer and a, a Remainer, and Chris Morris will come on and say the Remainer was right. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. <laughs> thank yeah. you, thank you. As if, as if Chris Morris, you know, this, this bloke, is the sole repository of truth in the known universe. Yeah. We must go to our reality checker. <laughs> Chris Morris, uh, yes. Yeah, you know, it's, it's, it's infantile and egregious bollocks, isn't it? Well, one of our, uh, in fact, our first guest on this show was Robin Aiken. He called you uh, the best editor he'd worked with when oh, you were at the Today programme. Very uh, lovely man. Bloke. He's written books about BBC yeah. Bias or whatever. Yeah. It's not just, though, is it, about the news. You, you, were, you were very much, you know, Today programme at the forefront of the news, but it's not really just about news for the BBC output, is it? It's, it's no, about no, drama I mean, and comedy and... Brexit aside, where the news has been egregious, I mean, the news coverage has just been unrelenting bias. Mm. Uh, but Brexit aside, at least politically, the programmes are watched for by, by the powers that be to make sure they give equal time to various... Yeah, yeah. Um, it's beyond there. It's in the dramas. Yeah, <laughs> it's, yeah. it's in the panel shows and the comedy shows. Uh, even the food program, yeah, yeah. You, know, you will find <laughs> yeah. it everywhere. Yes, yeah. Even Doctor Fucking Who, <laughs> they had, <laughs> you know, there was one. My my daughter stopped watching it because, yeah, she said, well, I just want to see some aliens, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I just want to see a Dalek come on and you know kill someone. I I don't want to lecture about how lovely it is that. A Muslim guy can marry a Hindu girl, uh, and they're both peaceable and wonderful. Just fuck off. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just give us the programs we want without this constant drip of propaganda. Do you think this is? It seems to me that, like, over the past few years, this is kind of throughout broadcasting media now. The difference, of course, is BBC. We have to pay for it. Or yeah, threat of yeah. jail, etc. Sure. But Sky, ITV. You know, certainly Channel Four News. I mean, they it pretty they pretty much seem to be cut from the same cloth now. Yes, that's right. The and broadcast I mean, media is. I yes. know this sounds. I don't. You were you were very active in left wing politics in the seventies and and weren't you in the eighties? Presumably, yeah. Socialist Workers Party, I think, and and all the rest. For nine months. For nine Give months. Me a break. Oh, right. It was great okay. fun. No, but the reason I'm asking is, you know, we we talk a lot about the long march through the institutions, which yeah. I include in that the media. Of course, yeah. Well, did you have any sense of that happening then? No, did people 80s. 80s? The 80s. Around about the time the Commission for Racial Equality told journalists that Chinese people should be regarded as black. Right. I think that was <laughs> my first... No, it was, it was the, definitely the 80s. The 80s was a time when those two things came together. Uh, two very, very individualistic philosophies. One was... The Chicago School of Economics, which of course yeah. Thatcher and Reagan both embraced, mm. uh, the, the uh, Friedman and Hayek, and this 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 uh, this feeling that there should be no restraints on on the individual and his ability to spend. Uh, the state should butt out. Uh, the devil takes the hindmost, mm. which is a very coarse way of describing Chicago, but very individualistic. Right. And the Frankfurt School, yeah, yeah. which, whilst s supposedly from the left, was saying pretty much the same thing. Yeah. You know, you look at Marcuse 
Um, it's, uh, it's do your own thing. It's the 60s spirit of, of abolish bourgeois constructs such as family, marriage, and so on, do your own thing. Uh, and march through the institutions, take over the institutions. And it's, it's very compelling. It's very compelling if you're in these, these organisations. It's a very nice thing to think, but it's catastrophic. But was it, do you think, therefore, was it random or was this, was this actually quite deliberate? I mean, I don't mean people sat in a room and planned, but the idea that actually you should hollow the culture from the outside... Uh, from the inside out, you know, that you should, you're not going to get people on the streets, as it were, so you might, you, you go into the cultural institutions. I think it probably was in the, in the case of people like Danny Cohn-Bendit, yeah. you know, and some of the other um, uh, 1968 troublemakers, and certainly in the case of Marcuse and Habermas and all yeah. those uh, deadly Marxist bores. Um, I don't think most of it was there. Yeah. I think cultures change and cultural elites change. Mm. You know, I, I can remember working uh, in the House of Commons in the early 80s for the Labour Party writing speeches uh, for the front bench and saying we ought to do something for the teachers uh, because badly paid, haven't had a pay rise mm. for ages. Uh, and I was told by, an M- by, by a set of cabinet members to... We're not doing anything for those cunts. They're all Tories. Yeah. And it's funny to think back. This is yeah, 1983. Yeah. They were all Tories. They voted Tory. Yeah, yeah. You know, the establishment until the middle of the 80s was in the hands of the right. It's now in the hands of the left, uh, the liberal left. Right, right. It'll change. But you see, you're talking about teachers there being yeah. called Tories or whatever. Uh, this is one area now where it is, is so completely. I don't know how to deal with different. teaching. I just do you not wrote know about what to it do. recently, but uh, I, yeah. the reason I mention is that uh, we had someone on a few weeks ago on the program, James Bartholomew, and he was home teaching. Mm. His sort of you, you took exceptions to that at one point, but then well, you I took sort the of piss a little bit. Yeah, yes, but then you came back saying, actually, I understand why. Why? What had changed your mind? My daughter's at a state school, a good one. A grammar school, past the 11 plus. The propaganda is continuous, authoritarian, absolutist, and crosses every subject apart from the sciences. It's just, it's everywhere. I mean, I'm well aware, you know, that geography is now the provisional wing of Marxist sociology. Oh, yeah. Um, But history, it's the same. English. You know, it's in every single subject. And if they try to query it, they, they get docked points. Yeah, <laughs> it's, yeah, yeah. it's so intolerant. But this is sort of like now going across most all fields. It's, it's, not, it's not just education, it's charities, it's the lot, yeah. isn't it? Everything. Yeah. Along with identity politics, yes. along with all of this. And I mean, do you think as well, a bit like we were talking about the liberals being, if, if you like, the liberal elite being expunged at some point, whatever. is this some kind of final flourish of theirs, or is this really now kind of, are they've got the wind in their sails now, do you think, these people? Because it seems to me that... No, it's truth be told, I think that... I think that it's... I, I think that we've reached peak wank, Yeah. Uh, if I can put it <laughs> like that. Um, uh, and I, th- I think the subject which... The, the issue, the the issue which I think it's beginning to 
turn on mm. is transgenderism. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, it's a good one because there are, as Julie Bertrand once put it, these uh, screaming memes and bedwetters. Shrieking about things, and shrieking for the right to be thought of that their current gender is as authentic as the one they were assigned to at birth. No, it isn't. You are not women. You know, that's what science says. And fortunately, on that issue, you have um, a coalition which says this is bollocks. You have Peter Tatchell. You have the radical feminists, the TERFs, as they're now called. And you have people who who have never gone along with this shrieking victimhood of any of of the of the intersectional Julie Burchill, uh, not Julie, Julie, uh, Julie Bindle is another one, isn't Julie she? Julie Bindle is another one. Yeah, yeah. I mean, well, Jermaine Greer. Yeah, yeah. Um, they're sort of eating their own, as it were, aren't they? Yeah, people, they are. But, but I think, I think that that is one of the subjects where, because the liberal, because the government swallowed it whole. Yeah, the government goes along with it all. Mm. So do the universities, so does, so does the BBC, etc. But people don't. Mm. And more and more often, I'm beginning to hear the other side of the argument being put in a way which doesn't happen, for example, on immigration and various other yeah, subjects. Yeah. That suddenly people are saying, well, actually, this might mean an end to women's sport. Yes, completely. exactly. You yeah. know, this yeah. might... Actually, what is going on at the bloody Tavistock Clinic? Yeah. What the hell? Yeah. Uh, and I think that is the one where, <coughs> where the shibboleths and the and the and the victimhood stuff will be defeated. And I think once you've defeated one of them, then we can start picking away at the rest. We've got to, you know, uh, wind up now because I know you, you've got to get off and everything. Rod, it's, it's, it's a lovely talk to you. I just want to ask lovely you. Lovely to talk to you. It's it's a it's a big question, but it's actually you, if you talk, we've reached peak wank. <laughs> on that issue. I hope that phrase gets picked up. Oh, so do I. Mm. Oh. But, um, thank you. <laughs> but I think the, thi- the thing is, really, is if, c- if you think back to when you started out as a journalist yeah. and to now, are you broadly op- more optimistic or more pessimistic for us as a culture, if you like? I oh, less pessimistic. But far, far, far more pessimistic. You're far more? Yeah. Right. Yeah, uh, it's not the culture which I grew up in. No, not remotely. Uh, and I think some of that's a natural consequence of globalism. Mm. Um, but I think we need a party such as the Social Democratic Party, okay. which uh, has a few answers to globalism and how to preserve culture within this globalized economy. But do you think that political parties aside from it? Do you think that there is the will? This is the thing. It's like in Douglas Murray's book. It's been, yeah. Is there the will, if you like, to preserve our culture? Do you, or do you think that we sort of have lost faith in what we are? I think probably in 19... When I started out as a journalist, 1979-1980, I think probably three-quarters of the country would have called themselves somewheres... Yeah, 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 yeah. I think today it's probably, well, 51.8%. So I think it's far more difficult now. 
Well, on that note, beautifully put. Thank you very much indeed for Pleasure. coming in. Thanks. Enjoyed it. Yep, great. Thank you very Cheers, much. Cheers, mate. Thanks very much for watching. So what you're saying is, if you enjoyed it, please do subscribe. This thing should be appearing here. Just uh, tap on that and you subscribe to the channel. Uh, look forward to seeing you next time. Thank you.